What's up, church? Wow, we're going to try that again since there's like 250 of us in here. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, church. There we go. That's what I expected the first time. There we go. Hey, uh, we're grateful to have you guys. Uh, as Pastor Archie mentioned earlier, we got family movie night tonight. And uh, just by the way, like this is a killer theater, okay? And so I encourage you to come and uh, check that out. And then uh, also he mentioned uh, Stone Point Serves. And uh, so next weekend, we have one service, and we just go and we send everybody out and serve in the community. And so if you show up at the 1130 service, or even for that matter, at the 10 o'clock service next week, you'll be here like wondering, where is everyone? Uh, and so I encourage you to come at 9 o'clock if you can, and we'll uh, send you out uh, to uh, serve in the community. we got lots of different things uh, going on here and in other parts of Anzac County. So hope that you'll be here for that. Uh, anybody remember uh, Lance Armstrong, the guy that uh, was known for winning seven Tour de France's in a row? Uh, he was uh, what many presume to be the uh, best athlete in the world. And then all of that came crumbling down in 2012 uh, when they discovered that he had been in what? Uh, taking self enhancing uh, drugs. Now, I don't know about you, but after a while, as it moved into 2013, 2014, you're like, I am tired of hearing about all the Lance Armstrong talk, right? But here's basically what the story was. Um, you had this guy uh, who indeed was doing something spectacular, uh, something that no one else had ever done, and then all of it literally is taken away, it's stripped of him uh, because he did it illegally. Now, what you see here in Colossians chapter 2, as we're going to dive in, is this. You had the church in Colossae, which Paul's writing to, this book of Colossians, and you have a lot of people who have become believers in Jesus Christ, meaning they profess to believe in Jesus Christ, the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus but what you also had is you had another group of people, uh, Jews that were practicing legalism and mysticism. Uh, you had a bunch of Gentiles that were uh, talking about philosophy and asceticism and a lot of different things going on. And here's what they were essentially saying. To the Christian, to the person who believed in Jesus Christ, they were saying, yeah, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but... There's so much more that you need to believe in. And so they were taking what they believed and they were stripping it from them. And basically saying that, yeah, you profess Jesus, but there's so much more in order to have a communion with the one true God. It's not just Jesus. He's not enough. And so that was the teaching that had crept in uh, to this city in Colossae, this small town about 100 miles east of Ephesus. And that was the struggle going on. They were saying, well, Jesus is great, but he's not enough for your salvation. And so you had this idea of Gnostic thought, the idea of Gnosis, a higher thought that people were attaining. And many of them were saying to be a Christian is, is great, but that's, you're not getting the higher thought. There's more spiritually for people. And so that's what Paul was writing about, and uh, that was the discussion taking place. And so um, that's what we're going to address today as we look at Colossians 2.8 all the way to Colossians 3.4. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and here's all I ask of you, okay? Pay very close attention. Uh, it's going to be a lot, a lot of information. If you're a first-time guest with us, you're going to go, whoa, do they do this every week? And no, we don't every week. But we just happen to land in Colossians in a place where we're going to be talking about some things that are really important to the believer, important, important in terms of our walk with Jesus Christ, uh, important in terms of what's happening in our day and time and how we stand our ground. It's very similar to what Paul was addressing in uh, Colossians to this church. And so 
We're going to talk about a lot of things today. I'm encouraging you right now to go ahead and find a place online under our resources tab. Go and uh, look at the sermon archives and be prepared to listen to this maybe once, maybe twice this week so you can wrap your head around all of it. It is a lot, a lot of information. And so we're going to dive in. Y'all ready? Okay, you better be. Here we go. Here's what Gnosticism is. And this is their thought process. And I'm going to explain it to you the best we can, and we're going to dive in. The Gnostics believed that there was a one true supreme God. We believe the same thing. Our supreme God, the God of the Bible, is the God Yahweh. They would say that the God of the Bible is not a true God, that he's not the one true. Matter of fact, they have the monad of Gnosticism, this Gnosis, and his name is Bythos, the one. And so Bythos is uh, a God who's always existed. He is uh, supreme in all that he does, but Bythos did not create anything. Matter of fact, everything that came of the spiritual realm emanated of itself. And so there was a spiritual realm, and all of these angelic beings, these lower gods, little g, are called eons. And you have all of these angelic beings, eons, that are in the spiritual realm, and they all basically are supporting caste to Bythos. The problem was, is that in the Gnostic thought, is that these eons, these spiritual beings, the angelic beings, got to doing some things they shouldn't have done. And matter of fact, there was one, his name was Archon, and he actually got together and sinned with uh, another one named Sophia, the god of, goddess of wisdom, and they had a demiurge. A demiurge, a lower or lesser god. He's not Bythos, he's lower and lesser. Matter of fact, because of their sin and their corruption in the spiritual realm, this demiurge ultimately became the the lower God that created all the physical realm that you and I see. So the Demiurge created all the universal realm. Got me? All the matter that you and I know was created by a Demiurge, this created being that came out of Archon and Sophia's sin. And now that you see all of this, all the Gnostic would say it's evil. Matter of fact, they would say all physical matter and anything in our universal realm that has a physical touch to it, anything that you can touch, anything that you can taste, anything that you can tangibly see, feel, touch, any of that is all evil. So, in order to get back to Bythos, the one that is the supreme over all things, you have to enter into this metaphysical realm, this experience outside of your body because you got to leave your body because it's sinful. It's matter. And you have to approach this what's called pleroma, a fullness outside of yourself, a mystical thought to get you back to Bythos. Anybody go, whoa, that seems weird, right? Well, that's what was being taught in the Colossian church, that to get back to Bythos, you had to get away from the demiurge and all the physical realm, all the things that were created, and you got to get outside of yourself. you got to have some mystical experience outside of your body that would spiritually connect you back to Bythos. And if you had that experience, it was called the Pleroma. And guess what? Not everybody could have that experience called the Pleroma. Only a select few who what? Knew Gnosis. Got me? And so all of these people who had experienced Gnosis were looking at these Christians and going, oh, 
Yeah, I understand you keep teaching about Jesus, but you don't understand Jesus the way that I do because they believed that because of the demiurge and all the physical realm that was corrupt because of the sin in the heavenly realms, that that Bythos sent Jesus and and Eon and the Holy Spirit and Eon to give gnosis to these certain select people. Now you look at me and you go, well, that's crazy. And I would say that seems a little bit abnormal. But to them, your belief in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the what way, the truth, and the life, John, 4, 6, uh, John 14, 6, they would say, well, that sounds a little crazy to us. And so what Paul's simply doing in this scripture and in this part of our Bible is he is combating what's going on in the Colossian church. Got me? Anybody's head hurt yet? Well, we got a lot more, so hang on. Here we go. So he, why am I telling you this? Well, here's why. What Paul's going to do in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8 and 9, he's going to deal with the philosophy in that day. In 11 through 17, he's going to deal with legalism in that day. Following that, he's also going to move on from there, and he's going to talk about the mysticism of that day, 16 or uh, 18 and 19. And then from there, he's going to talk about this thing called asceticism in that day. And you may wonder, well, is that just really confined to that day and time? And the answer is no. All of these things, uh, legalism, philosophy, mysticism, and even asceticism are happening today. And you and I look at these things, and if we're not careful, we could be prone to believe in a handful of the things that could be taught. And so we're going to address those today. And like I said, uh, this is not typically uh, how deep we go, but today is, there's some depth to it. And so encourage you uh, to, hey, what? Begin to grow up in your faith. Check everything we say with the Word of God. Make sure that it's in line, because ultimately that's what we believe and we stand on. Got me? Amen? Look at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive. The idea here in the Greek, the word captive literally means to spoil. Uh, when you had an Old Testament war, uh, if the Israelites were going to go in and they were going to take uh, the Philistines or the Ammonites, one of the things they would do is go in and they would plunder their camp, they would take their women, they would take their children, and they would take all their belongings, literally leave them with nothing. They would spoil everything, and they would take all the spoils of their efforts. And they would go back richer, wealthier, and they had a, an abundance of more people in their camp. And that was the idea. And so Paul says, see to it that no one spoils or takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on what? Human tradition. And so what he says is this, philosophy is built off of what? Human tradition. It is based off of people and their theories and what they've learned. And it's based off of elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on what? Christ. And so he says, you can choose to believe onto the traditions of men, which are based off of these elemental or elementary teaching. The idea of that Greek word is rudimentary. Uh, and he goes, you can base it off of things that you see in math and in science and astrology, or you can base it on things in Christ. And he said, you have to decide on what it's going to be. Well, in that day and time, you had a lot of people, and particularly this Gnostic idea, uh, this Jewish mysticism, and in this case, Jewish philosophy, that people were saying, we can know God better. Matter of fact, let me explain something to you. Are you with me? Philosophy is simply this. Philosophy is the idea that you and I as men and women can know God better. 
that we can explore God, that we can get to know him through science, and we can get to know him through astrology, and we can get to know him through philosophy, but that you and I, if we work hard enough, we can get to know God by our own thoughts, and that we can explore him and know him, and that that's exactly what we could do. That's philosophy. Biblically means this, is that God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That you and I cannot understand God. Amen. You and I cannot get to God on our own. Matter of fact, what the Bible teaches is is that he is on a totally different level and that because he's revealed himself to us through the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we can see the Father. The only way that you and I know God, understand God, is because he's made himself known to us. The Gnostics believe that God did not make himself known to us and that you had to find him through this proper teaching, this gnosis, this idea outside of your own body. And Paul says, no, that's not true. Matter of fact, he says, you can look to the elemental spiritual forces, the rudimentary, the stokeon of this world, or you can look at Jesus Christ. And you may be here today, and let me just put it on simple terms for you. Terms that you and I can understand. Right now, you and I have kids, and they are going to grow up in our public schools. And so let me explain some philosophy this day. Many of you, which you have high school kids, or they're going to be in college, or they're in college even right now, they're struggling right now with their Christian faith. And here's why. Because in their college classes, in their freshman year, they hit somebody who was teaching psychology, and they were teaching uh, socioeconomics. They were talking about sociology, uh, economics, philosophy, all these different things. There are many, as they're coming through high school in our science classes, they're wondering, can I believe in Darwinism and the Bible too? And the bottom line is no, those things do not coexist together. You have to decide, am I going to believe the things about the Bible in terms of morality, in terms of salvation, in terms of how the world was created, or am I going to believe science, modern day philosophy? And parents, here's the bottom line. Your kids need to know answers. And if you don't know the answers, you need to get with people that can teach you the answers. Because the bottom line is this. The old adage and the excuse of this, you just believe it because it's faith and it's always been this way, is a terrible answer. Why? Because the Bible does not leave these issues null and void. Paul is addressing philosophy in that day. And he is saying, if you are looking to the stars, if you're looking to astrology or you're looking to science, you will not find your answer in God. Matter of fact, to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ. And he uses that word in chapter 1, fullness. Do you know what the word is? Pleroma. Pleroma. He's talking to the Gnostics. If you want to know the higher thought of God, the Pleroma, you want to have this experience, you find it in Jesus Christ. He says, so you need to know that philosophy in this day is found in a lot of different ways. What is the philosophy of this day? Well, I don't know if you realize it, but we just had a Supreme Court ruling that was philosophy in this day. And the Supreme Court ruling is this. We believe, and as our president state, our country is better today than he took office. Because when he took office, there were two states that had an acceptance of gay marriage, and now there's 39 states. And so he sees it as a win. What we look at is the what? The truth of God's word. And we say, no, marriage is still between what? One man and one woman. Why? Because the philosophers this day, if you believe in that, they'll teach you one thing. And what Paul is saying is, no, you need to make sure that you look to what? A truth of God's word. Now, let me explain something to you. Does that mean that we don't love people? 
Absolutely. Because I struggle with my own sin. You got me? And so it's not a question, are you a sinner or what? The bottom line is, I recognize my sin. I recognize my gluttony. I recognize my pride and my selfishness. I recognize my perfectionism because in light of the Bible. And I know it's wrong, but it's by God's grace that I'm able to move forward. You got me? But the bottom line is, I cannot convince people and even judges that my perfectionism and my, my gluttony is not wrong. Why? Because the Bible is the absolute truth on it. Do you got that? And so we have to decide that we're going to believe in elemental teachings of this world or we're going to believe on Christ. And we believe on Christ. And Paul says Christ is your hope. He is the answer. And so what was it they were looking for? Here's the bottom line. They were looking to get to God through the angelic beings. That if they prayed enough, if they had these experiences enough, then they could get to God. And do you remember what God said through Paul in chapter 1? That Jesus, he wasn't just physical, but he was of this world because what? He came to us in the flesh. And so he came to reconcile and mediate before us to get us to God, and he came and lived among us. That's pretty amazing, right? Why did he do that? Because you and I couldn't do it on our own. Then look what happens in verse 11. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by what? Human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now look, he's going to move from philosophy that day to the legalism of that day. Here's legalism. Legalism is simply this. To believe in Jesus is great, but that's not enough. You have to do things. You have to have more. You have to uh, experience more. Hey, can y'all turn my mic down up there, please? You have to experience more. You have to do all of these different things. And so here's the deal. Is what is baptism? What do you believe about baptism? Did you know that right now there's people in our culture, legalistically wise, that they would say a belief in Jesus Christ and a faith in God is great, but in order to have true salvation experience, you must be baptized too. That's legalism. Why? Because you're basically saying that in order to have a faith in Jesus Christ, you've got to be baptized too. That's legalistic. Why? Because they're saying Jesus isn't enough. There's more for you to do. In that day and time, legalism might also contain what you could eat or what you couldn't, how you cleanse your hands externally, when you did sacrifices, how often you kept the feast, and all of these things were happening. Is that still happening? Yes. It's this. How often do you go to confessionals? How often uh, do you make it to church? Are you there enough? And there's many of you that you beat yourself up. And the very reason that you came today is because you hadn't been in three weeks. And you go, it's time for me to get back. And you feel bad about yourself. But the bottom line is God did not build this relationship for us to feel bad about. Matter of fact, when you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that's all you need. And so do we love him? Yes. Do we serve him? Absolutely. But we don't do it out of obligation. We do it out of the desire to serve him and love him. They were doing things out of obligation. And it was as if they even got baptized for the wrong reasons. Now, why do you and I get baptized? Paul says, you were once what? Of the circumcision, but you weren't of the circumcision performed by what? Human hands. But without human hands. So what's the idea? The idea is this. God is not interested anymore in simply taking a foreskin and cutting it off. He is taking the heart and he is just literally taking all of it. And so he's not doing it physically. He's doing it supernaturally and spiritually. Now the question is, is why is that important? The reason that's important is, is that you are no longer basing your salvation off of what you've done. 
In the Jewish day, on the eighth day, they would circumcise their children. And you know what that meant? It meant that they were externally devoting themselves to God and saying, I am going to be of the people of God. That's how Israel did it. They also kept feasts. Uh, they kept all of these different things. They ate certain things. And you see all of these ceremonial laws of which we read in Leviticus and we go, oh my gosh, I have no idea what that means. And it was for the Jew. And here's why. It was taking these people who were prone to wonder and it was bending them towards the Messiah. The, the problem was is this. They didn't have a Messiah yet. They hadn't heard of Jesus. They hadn't seen Jesus. They hadn't met him. All they had was a foreshadowing of things to come. And so God instituted the Sabbath so that they weren't prone to wonder. He instituted certain laws ceremonially, morally, so that they weren't corrupt people. They weren't just sinful, nasty, vile people. That there was some order in their life, and it positioned and brought them closer to God. That's why the law was there. The law is not there for you and I that if we keep all the Ten Commandments, we have salvation with God. Salvation doesn't come through the law. It comes through Jesus Christ. And so why do we look at this? The bottom line is this. It's because in our circumcision, we are what? We put off the flesh, verse 11. When you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So why do you get baptized? Is it because it's salvation? No, you get baptized because it's your opportunity to identify with Jesus Christ. You are buried in your sin and you're raised to walk in newness of life, right? Yes? You are simply doing this. You are relating and you are... Uh, identifying with Jesus, that you realize that because of your, of, of your sin, you, re- you should have death in your life, meaning you're separated from God, right? Romans 3.23, for all sin falls short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of that sin is death, that you should be separated from God forever. But yet, he says, I'll give you new life. And when you have new life in Jesus Christ, you're baptized, and you simply show everyone else that you're identifying with him. Matter of fact, you see my wedding ring right here, folks? You got me? That means I'm married, right? Yes? Yes. So, hey, audience participation is wonderful today. You see it? I'm married? Yes. Am I still married? Yes, because I had a covenant relationship with my wife. If I forget my wedding ring at home, which I never do, but if I did, it doesn't take and negate my marriage. This is simply a sign of me identifying with her that we are one flesh. Baptism is the sign to the church and to his body of believers, the the body of Christ, that I am no longer mine, but I've been bought with a price. My old creation is gone and I'm a new one that's been, what, made new. And so you identify with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he sets you on higher ground knowing that it's not about legalism anymore. It's about what he's done. It's about being dead to your old sin and being raised a new life with Christ. Got me? Verse 13 says, matter of fact, uh, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Who made you alive? God did. Matter of fact, the made word there is a passive verb, meaning this. Just the same in the English language is the same in the Greek language. When you see a passive verb, it means this. You had nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. So what do I mean by that? You know this? If you had a, a man that was born blind in Jesus' day, he was going to stay blind until Jesus healed him. And so Jesus is the one who made the blind to see. If you had a leper, then guess what? He was going to be dirty and filthy, and he was going to be an untouchable until Jesus cleaned him and healed him. And so Jesus is the one that cleanses the leper. 
You have a lame man who couldn't walk. And guess what? He's going to be lame until you have some intervention from the healer, Jesus, right? And he makes the lame to walk, right? You and I are dead in our sins until Jesus makes you alive in him. And so it is through his salvation towards you. It is his grace manifested through Jesus Christ. A belief in your heart, a confession in your mouth that you are what? Saved. And that's the idea here. He goes, Christ has done it for you. Matter of fact, verse 13, he says, He forgave you of your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away. He nailed it to the cross. Wow! He nailed it to the cross. And what's the idea? The same idea in Matthew 27, verse 37, that they held him king of the Jews. It was an accusation against him. It wasn't a declaration that he's the king of the Jews. It was an accusation saying Jesus has blasphemed God, claiming that he's the king of the Jews. And they put that as an accusation over his head. Just as he had an accusation over the cross on his head, you have an accusation against you, and that is that you're a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus having nailed it all to the cross, has done the same for you. That if you would look to him, John 3, high and lifted up, then he would what? Save you. It is about you looking to Jesus Christ to be saved. Got me? Yes? And that's what Paul says. He says, look to Christ knowing that he took all of your accusations and he nailed them to the cross. Like, I don't know about you, but if, if people really knew the mess going on in your life right now, like if they even knew your thoughts right now, like this dude is freaking crazy. Like even in your sin, like even in your worst day, knowing that Jesus Christ has nailed that to the cross because of your belief in him is a fantastic thing. Knowing that he didn't just take some of your sin, but he took all of them. And that he literally gave you a presidential pardon, a supernatural pardon, that you didn't deserve it, you didn't even earn it, but he gave it because of your faith in him. Is an amazing thing. He says... That's what it looks like to, to be nailed to the cross. It, it's so difficult for us to understand. But the bottom line is, is simply this. Our salvation, it's free, but it had a great cost. Jesus literally paid it all, but he made it free for you. And it's not about an experience outside of yourself. It's not about a bunch of rules and regulations. It's not about going to church, giving to the church. It's not being, about being in a journey group. It's not about uh, you know, going to mass. It's not about confessing to someone and getting penance for that. It's not about uh, hopefully praying through uh, for someone as they enter into purgatory. It's not about any of those things. What is it about? It's about Jesus Christ and his free gift to you. And that's all it is. It's Jesus plus nothing is what Paul keeps reiterating. Verse 15 says, And he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, this is the coolest thing. Do you, have you ever thought about it in the spiritual realm? Because there is a spiritual realm. We know that. The Ephesians 6 says that we need to stand firm because of the spiritual realm and the things, the principalities that are going on above us and the things that you and I can't even contemplate or understand. But the bottom line is this. Jesus disarmed them all on the cross. Now, now think about this. If you are a, a, a Satan or any of his followers, you are a, a demon, to have the Messiah of the world hanging on the cross, wouldn't you think you have him exactly where you want him? You ever thought about that? No, I guess not. Okay. Well, a great theologian, F.F. F. Bruce, had, and he did. And look what he said. It's so amazing if you just look at this. As he was suspended there, bound hand and foot, 
to the wood in apparent weakness. They imagined, meaning the angelic realm, the, the demons, Satan, they imagined that they had him at their mercy and flung themselves on him with hostile intent. But far from suffering their attack without resistance, he grappled with them and he mastered them, stripping them of all their armor in which they trusted and held them aloft in his outstretched hands, displaying to the universe their helplessness and his own unvanquished strength. That as he literally hung on that cross, the very decision in which they thought hurled him there and was going to pin him there and that they were going to rule in victory, when he declared the words, it is finished, not only did he take you, but he damned all the angelic realm that was against him in one fell swoop. The cross is not just for you and your salvation. While it is that, it was also that he won the victory against all the demonic realm. He literally is the authority of all things, and he declared it in three simple words. It is finished. Wow! Like, are you dead or what? Like, this is the greatest hope of the believer. And I can't stand being in a church that doesn't celebrate this. What an amazing, amazing thing. God, who knew no sin, became sin on your behalf. That you might become the righteousness of God. And in one fell swoop, he died for you. Not so that you would search for him out of mystical experience. Not that you would get your Ouija board and hope that somehow you got to him through an outside experience in your body. But he came to you. He came and he made himself known. He walked among us as a sinless man who willingly laid his life down for his friends. And he considered himself, as Peter said, to be what? Nothing. Not even equality with God to be something that it would be grasped. But he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross, that you and I may be what? Made new and have life. And we could reconcile uh, to God, not in our own attempts of vanity or vain conceit, but that he was the free gift of salvation. That's amazing to me. And so I know that I don't get to God through what? Philosophy. I don't get to God through legalism. And so maybe I should get to God through mysticism, right? Maybe it's something else. Verse 16 says, the reason that we celebrate this is the reason you don't let anyone judge you is because what? It's not by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festival and new moon celebration or Sabbath day. These are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? You know what? Y'all might boo me and you might think I'm the worst husband in the world, but I don't carry around a photo of my wife in my wallet. Go ahead, boo. Yeah, you know, that's, uh, you're sorry, husband, you know. And men, for you out there that can relate, man, hey, keep going. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but the question is why? Why don't I? Well, here's why. Because I don't need a prototype of the real thing. My wife is mine and I am hers. We are one flesh. And we enjoy intimacy together and we enjoy our life together and we're raising kids together. And all of this happens under one home. I don't need a wallet or a picture in my wallet to show me who she is. I get to know her. Do you see what this is, what he says? He said, the reason that God instituted all of these things, new moon festivals, eating and drinking, religious festival, is because they were simply a shadow. They didn't see the real deal. And so in the Old Testament, they need to be reminded. Now, what do we have? We have the new covenant purchased, what? Through Jesus and his blood. We have the real deal, in essence. Got me? 
Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up. Uh, basically, they're inflated. They're full of hot air. You know those people? Maybe. If you don't, it may be you. So be careful. <laughs> and they do it with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So here's the idea. Have you ever met someone that they put these demands on you and, and they even talk about this metaphysical experience, this thing outside of the body. You're like, no, I've never really had anybody tell me that. But basically there are people out there, and even in this day and age, it's called the New Age Movement. It's the idea of mysticism, that there is, a, there is an opportunity for people to get in the metaphysical realm. And they do it in a variety of different ways, but the idea is that they're outside of themselves and they have this experience. And maybe you even talk to somebody that was in the church and they talk about how they spoke in tongues and about how close they were to God and and they have all of these different things going on. And in that, they felt, you felt like they were stripping you of your worth. And of your, because you're like, I don't, I don't speak in tongues or I've never had the experience. And, and there are many people who presume to think and even teach that if you don't speak in tongues, then you haven't had the full indwellment or the gift of the Holy Spirit on you. And so they would say that you, you it's great, you put your faith in Christ. And I, I think you're a Christian, but you, know, you don't have what I have. You, you're not at the depth of the level. You, you ever had somebody, you know, they, they, they almost entertain that there is such a greater spiritual level than you are that you almost are like, man, golly, I don't, I don't know why I even keep doing this. I, I'm never going to be that. And that's what he says. He goes, that's the idea of mysticism. The idea of mysticism is that you come in contact with someone that they think that they have this experience that is above everyone else and that it's outside of themselves. And they talk about it all the time as if they're closer to God. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Not only does he say that that's a problem, he actually says in verse 19, they've lost their head. No, he didn't say that. They've lost connection with the head, okay? You may think they've lost their head. What Paul says is this. He says, literally, they're puffed up with idle notions, Meaning, they're speaking of things in which have no concrete evidence. They literally are loose cannons. He says they are puffed up, they're egotistical, and they're arrogant, but yet this is not biblical is what he says. It's not biblical as Christians. You need to hear this. You need to know it's not biblical to have experiences outside of yourself. The medical, metaphysical realm, a spiritual realm, is not something that you and I are meant to tap into. We get to God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. You want to know God? You want to see God? You want to know all about his attributes? Look at Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. Jesus is simply enough. If you want to know God, look at what? The prototype of God, the one who is God, the one who you uh, can be connected to as the vine, the one who is the head of the church, right? Jesus Christ. He says he's enough. And he goes, they've lost connection with the head, meaning Christ, from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. He goes, the bottom line is Christ is enough. What did we see last week as Pastor Ryan taught? Colossians chapter 2, 6 and 7. You're rooted, you're built up, you're strengthened in the faith as you've been taught, and you overflow with thankfulness. How does that happen? Through Jesus Christ. Got me? Does not happen because you have some mystic thought. Doesn't happen because you have some mystic idea. Got me? So now here it is. We've covered philosophy. We've covered um, legalism. We've covered mysticism. And the last one is, look, asceticism. And, and you'll know what asceticism is too. Look at verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental, the rudimentary teachings, the spiritual forces of this world, why 
Is it as though you still belong to the world? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Do you see the reiterated theme? He goes, all of these things, philosophy, asceticism, legalism, they're all taught on human traditions, not on Christ. So he says, stay on Christ, right? But he says, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, that sounds a lot if you're reading it like legalism, but let me explain what asceticism is. Asceticism is a whole new level. You, you know what a monk was? A monk would go to a monastery, and a monk would go to learn, but the reason they went to the monastery is their thought process is if I got out of the natural world and I got into a secluded place, then I would be connected and closer to God, and my heart would not be evil. The problem is, is that wherever our heart goes, our what? Sin goes with us, Right? Like, you can take me and you can disconnect me from the world, but the bottom line is if I have a sinful heart, I'm a sinful person. Got me? And so the idea of asceticism is, is that you go and you hide in a cave, and you don't have anything to do, and you beat your body into submission. You don't sin. You try not to do anything sinful. You, you try to wear certain things. It's the idea of somebody coming and telling you that because you don't wear a dress and braid your hair and not wear makeup that you can't be a solid Christian. And the idea of asceticism is because I braid my hair, wear a dress, and don't wear makeup, that I'm more holy than everybody else. And the bottom line is, is that's asceticism. It's a dangerous place to be. And the idea is taking legalistic thought and adding them into your daily routine, hoping that it gets you higher to God. Does that make sense? And it could be in food. Like I could go and I could make myself a better Christian by starving myself and say to all of you, I fast every single day. And in my fasting, let you know that I am what? Closer to God. And I could hold that over your head and lord it over you in a a way of saying, if you don't fast and you don't have the same daily routines as me, you're not as spiritual. You aren't as ascetic as I am. Is that a problem? Yes. Why? Because in order to show you how godly I am, I have to what? Give you a puffed up notion of how I study my Bible, how regular routine I have, about how great of a prayer life I have, about how I speak in tongues and I know native languages and things that you don't know. And I have a communion with God that you don't have. Now, how, how often would you want to be around me if I constantly talked about the level I have in my relationship with God and that you can't obtain it? Wouldn't that be frustrating? And so what do I have? And what do we have here today? We have a lot of notions that are happening in our world. We have legalism. We have mysticism. We have asceticism. We have philosophy in this day. And it's happening all around us. You need to know that. That's the culture in which we live in. But as Christians, what are we doing? What is our take? Well, here's the bottom line. I don't care how spiritual you claim to be. I don't care about how mystical you think you are, how many experiences you had out of your body. Here's what I do know. If Jesus Christ lives in your life, he's going to change your life. And here's the struggle that I have with people who claim to be super spiritual. They claim to be super spiritual in one area of their life, but they owe the, the uh, country taxes. They don't discipline their kids at all. They're unfaithful to their husband. They're not connected to a church because they think that they're higher than the church. And they have all of these ideas over here, these notions about how spiritual they are, and they don't keep the very fundamental things of the faith. Sound familiar? What Paul is saying is this. 
If you want to know a Christian, then you look at how they live their life. You look at how they treat their spouse, how they manage their money, how they claim to live. They should be different. And Christians, as I've said many, many times before, ought to be the most attractive people in the world. The, the tragedy is, is this, is that what we have become, sadly, in the church is a bunch of religious people who think that if we go to church once or twice a month, then we're better for it. And that's not why Christ came and died. He came to die to get all of your life so that you would become devout followers of Jesus Christ, that he would penetrate your life and he would change you, not based off an outside experience, but an inward experience of a supernatural work on your heart where he, what, cuts it and removes everything that's a heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. That's the gospel, friends. And oftentimes we add a lot to it. And it's a danger because simply what Paul is saying is this. Jesus Christ is all we need. He's all we need. Matter of fact, he gets into to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I'm just going to read them to you because I think it's important. Listen. Since then, since you know all this, you know all that now? Got me? I need just one person to stick around and preach at the third service for me, okay? Just one. <laughs> since you know all of this, Paul says, since then, you get it. Stay away, guard your heart, guard your mind, identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection, live in him, rooted, built up, strengthened in him. Since then, you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does he say? He goes, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, our salvation. He is the guide in which we live for. And so is there a moral law? Absolutely. But guess what? You don't need a list of Ten Commandments if God's Spirit lives in you. You, you just need Him to live in you and to draw you towards Him. And are we a work in progress? Absolutely. I'm a work in progress. i got so far to go. But the bottom line is, I'm not going to get to God based off of myself. I get to God and I grow closer to him simply because God's grace is good. And I find all I need of our Heavenly Father wrapped up in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, knowing that he is all I need. Amen? Amen. Man, that's a lot of information. And my prayer is, is that if you have any questions, man, come and visit with me. I'd love to talk more about it. Uh, but more than that, hey, if you can use this as a resource online, feel free to. If you need to go back and take some notes, we encourage you to do that as well because it's a lot of stuff. And if you're a first-time guest, we are so grateful to have you. Uh, but we won't be talking about mysticism, legalism, or uh, any type of asceticism uh, for quite some time. So hope that you'll come back. Good deal? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Um, Father, I, uh, I thank you that, Lord, uh, as the Gnostics believe, um, that their God did not create the world. You said, I created the world through my son. And I created it all through Jesus Christ. And Lord, the reason why is amazing. You created it all through Jesus Christ. So when it fell away and it became sinful, you could recreate it and reconcile it all. And so you did it all through Jesus Christ. And the great thing is that you were pleased to give your fullness the pleroma that the Gnostics were looking for to Jesus. So Lord, essentially, if we want to know you, we want to be connected to you, we want to understand you, Lord, we need to see that through Jesus. And so Lord, I thank you that you didn't just leave us out here on planet earth looking for some philosophical or mystic idea. 
Lord, that you gave us your son, Jesus, who left the heavenly places that came in the form of the incarnate word, and he dwelt and he lived among us so that we could see him and that we could touch him and that we could learn from him, that he told stories that uh, resembled who you were as the creator and as a benevolent father. Lord, you gave a story in which uh, two sons, one of which was far off, and he ran from you uh, and ran from his father, and he took everything he had, and he literally just drove his life into the ground. And Lord, it's an amazing thing that he was able to come back to his father. And Lord, that's you. That even though we're prone to leave the God that we love, Lord, you are so quick in your forgiveness to reconcile us in our sin. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.